0: Jesus walking on the sea let's begin in Matthew chapter 14. Tonight we will spend all of our time in Matthew Mark and John's account of Jesus walking on the sea. We'll begin in Matthew 14 and then we'll turn to John 6 and then we'll turn to Mark 6 and I would encourage you to turn to those texts as we consider Some lessons from Jesus walking on the sea. In Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, the Holy Spirit tells us that Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side while He sent the multitudes away. This event in the life of Jesus follows the beheading of John the Baptist and the feeding of the 5,000. The word that the Spirit uses in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, the word made, means to make. It means to necessitate. It means to compel. It means to drive. It means to constrain. And so see in that description that Jesus made His disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat for the purpose of going before Him. Notice verse 22, to the other side. While He sent the multitudes away. Verse 23, when He had sent the multitudes away, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. I don't love this image. But the reason that I use this image within the context of this lesson, Jesus walking on the sea, is because I want you to... To appreciate in, in this event, in, in which the boat is in the middle of the sea, verse 24, and it's being tossed by the waves because the wind was contrary, that Jesus was not walking on placid water. He was not walking on on calm water. He he was not walking on still water. He he wasn't walking across the frog pond over in Fairfield Islands. The wind is tossing the waves because the wind is contrary. And the boat is in the middle of the sea. And the Spirit tells us that in the fourth watch of the night, and I understand that that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. that Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, verse 27, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And once again, I draw your attention to the fact that if you use the New King James Version like I do, next to the expression, it is I, is the number two. And so you go to the center column, and next to the number two, it says, literally, I am. And that's literally what Jesus said. Literally, what Jesus said to them in response to them crying out. Jesus literally said to them, Be of good cheer, do not be afraid, I am. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said to Peter, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when Peter saw, verse 30, that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew 14, verse 22 tells us that that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat to go across without Him. Why did He do that? In John's account, in John chapter 6 and in verse 15, notice what the Spirit tells us about the why question, about why Jesus did this. Remember, this follows the beheading of John the Baptist. It follows the feeding of the 5,000. And so John 6, 1 through 14 is about the the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. And so as you can see, John leaves out a number of of really interesting details that Matthew tells us about. But in verse 15, he he answers the why question for us. Why is Jesus making these men get into a boat and and sending them away from the multitude as he escapes from the multitude to go up to pray? Because it is safer for the twelve to be in the boat in the middle of this great windstorm than for them to get caught up in the make Jesus the king mania, which is what the people that experienced the feeding of the 5,000 were ready to do. They were ready to make him a king because in their mind that is who he is is. In truth, they believe that he is going to be a king in the same sense that Nebuchadnezzar was a king, that Cyrus was a king, that Alexander was a king, that Caesar was a king. And so in their minds, this is our guy, and we are ready now to take this Jesus of Nazareth and make him a king so that he can overthrow Rome. Why did Jesus make them get into the boat and send them away? Because it was safer for them in the storm than to get caught up in what these people wanted to do with Jesus. And so let's turn to Mark's account, Mark chapter 6. As we think about Jesus making them get into the boat and, and, and sending them ahead of himself... As we think about why Jesus stayed behind to pray, as we think about what was He praying about, Mark helps us to put this all together. Mark chapter chapter 6, beginning in verse 45, Immediately He made His disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. I love that little uh, tidbit of information there. You see that in verse 48? That's something new. That we hadn't read together from Matthew's account and John's account, he would have passed them by. Why didn't he? Because when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled, but immediately after they cried out, he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, I am, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Verse 52 tells us why Jesus was praying. Verse 52 tells us why Jesus sent them away. Jesus, uh, Mark 6.52 tells us why Jesus made them get into the boat and sent them away from the multitude, and why he stayed back to pray for them, because they had not understood about the loaves. And they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Remember this event in the life of Jesus. It follows the beheading of John the Baptist. It follows the the feeding of the 5,000. And what the Spirit tells us in Mark 6 verse 52 is that the 12 didn't understand about the feeding of the 5,000 because they were hard-hearted. Go back to chapter 6 of, of John's gospel and notice in verse 5, that Jesus lifts up his eyes and he sees this great multitude coming toward him. And so he says to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And the Spirit says to us, This is why Jesus asked Philip that question. He was testing him because Jesus himself knew what he would do. When you look at the Accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, what you see is that Jesus was testing the 12. He gave them a test, and they failed in asking them the question, and specifically Philip in John 6, verse 5, where shall we buy bread and these may eat? This is what Philip and the rest of the apostles did. They considered everything and every avenue to feed these people except... Jesus. They looked this way and they looked that way and they looked up and they looked down and they considered all the different options that were available to them to make it possible for this great multitude of people to eat. But they didn't consider Him. And so here was their conclusion after this test was over. Here here was how they chose to to answer the question in their blue book as they handed them in to Jesus. Jesus, there's just nothing to be done here. There's too many people. There's not enough food here for us to buy. We don't have enough money. And so here's what we think we ought to do, Jesus. We ought to send the multitude away. We ought to send the multitude away. So what did Jesus do? He made them get in a boat and he sent them ahead of himself and he went up to pray. And then after they got out into the middle of the of the Sea of Galilee, and the wind was boisterous and the waves were, were tossing the boat around, he walked out to them. Mark 6.47, they were in the middle. Mark 6.48, he would have walked past them. But Mark 6.49, why didn't he? Because they cried out. And when they cried out, he said to them, I am. In Matthew 14, verse 29, Jesus said to Peter, come. But before he said to Peter, come, Peter answered him and said in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me. Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And this is a great word. It's a very intensive word. It's a forceful word. The word that Peter used that's translated command in our, in our English Bibles is a word that kings would use to, to be it in the sense of invite. Come. It's a word that Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus or Alexander or Caesar would have used when they were, were saying to someone, Come. Peter says to Jesus, if it's you, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so what happened in Matthew's account? Peter was able to come out of the boat. If you've ever been in a boat, that's true of most all of us. If you can get in a boat, you can get out of a boat, you can come down out of a boat. I'm good at coming down out of a boat. But I tell you what you've never done, and I tell you what I've never done, and I tell you what nobody else had ever done except Jesus is walk on water. And so when Peter came down out of the boat, Jesus enabled him to walk on the water because of Peter's faith in him. Peter's faith in Jesus resulted in Jesus enabling him to walk on the water. But what happened after Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus? Verse 30. He stopped looking unto Jesus. Hebrews 12:1. He stopped looking into Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, when he stopped looking into Jesus, and he looked around, he looked to the right, and he looked to the left, and he looked up, and he looked down, and he, oh no. What am I doing? I'm out here on the water, walking on the water. How is this possible? The wind is boisterous all around me. And so what did he experience? He experienced fear. He was afraid. And so what happened, verse 30, in contrast to verse 29? Verse 29, Peter walked on the water. Verse 30, he began to sink. Peter's fear, listen to me very carefully, for such a time as this, the people of God need to learn this lesson. Peter's fear overcame his faith. And he began to sink. Sinking, Peter realized that he could not come up out of the water because that's not something that you and I can do. We we can get in a boat. We can get down out of a boat. But we can't walk on water. And once once we're sinking, we we realize that we can't come up out out of water that's being tossed around by these boisterous winds. Sinking, Peter realized that he could not come up out of the water. So what did he do? Matthew 14, 30, he said, Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter, lifting him up out of the water, saving him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus and Peter got into the boat, and the wind ceased. When you look at John's account, John 6, verse 21, the same word immediately is used to describe what happened after Peter and John, or after after Jesus and Peter got into the boat. Immediately, the boat was at the land where they were going. We began our work together on the Lord's Day by considering an event in the life of Jesus that that I choose to call Jesus in the storm. And, And in that event earlier in the life of Jesus the disciples conclusion at the end of that event is to be afraid of Jesus. It's to be afraid of Jesus and to ask the question, who is this man? Who can this be? And so sometime later in the the life of Jesus and in their relationship with Jesus, Jesus gave them a test and they failed it, and so He put them in a boat and He sent them across the Sea of Galilee and He went up to pray for them. And about the middle of uh, uh, of the... uh, uh, He allowed them to get into the middle of the sea and, and then, he, then he walked out to them. And when they cried out to him, then he answered them. And Peter was enabled by the Lord to walk on the water for a, for, for a moment. And then they get back into the boat. And when they get back into the boat and they're all in the boat with Jesus, they're not asking the question, who is this man? What have they done over the course of time in their relationship with Jesus? They have grown in His grace and in their knowledge of Him. And they have come to the conclusion, after all this time spent with Him, learning of Him, taking His yoke upon them, understanding that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, witnessing Him, listening to Him, seeing Him, they have come to the conclusion, truly, you are the Son of God. When you go back and and you read Matthew's account and Mark's account, we stopped where they say to him, truly you are the Son of God. And so look at verse 34 of Matthew 14. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. The word Gennesaret C- communicates a, a garden of riches. It was a place of rich soil and fertility and beauty. And it was known by the folks of, of, of this day as the paradise of Galilee. What did Jesus do? He put him in a boat and he sent him out into the boat. And he met them in the middle. And when they got to the other side, where were they? They were in paradise. They were in Gennesaret. They were in a garden of riches, the paradise of Galilee. And watch this, 35 and 36. When the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that he might that they might only touch the hem of the garment, and as many as touched it were made. Watch this, verse 36. They were made perfectly well. Perfectly well. Jesus made them perfectly well. Where? In Gennesaret, the Garden of Riches, the paradise of Galilee. I want to thank the elders for the invitation to be here. This has not been work for me, this has been fun. It's been fun for me because I have family here, I have family that have been able to, to come and be here uh, with us during the course of the week. Uh, some of the people that have, that have been the most impactful upon my life uh, are members of this church. Uh, we've known each other from, from, from other places. Uh, Andy Mills, who, who led singing this, this, this evening, his dad and his grandfather saved me from pharmaceutical sales. They were the elders that hired me to uh, move and to work with the church in Lagrange, Georgia. Uh, I, I, I've known uh, Alan and April all of my life. Uh, I've known Bob and Cherry most most of my life, and so it it, it is a it is a very surreal experience uh, to stand before your mom and your and your aunt and your uncle and people that have taught you about God, encouraged you to, to know Jesus, to, to be led by the Spirit. But, but it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. This has not been work for me. This has been fun. And so I, I want to thank the elders for the invitation. I want to thank all of you for being so kind and gracious and loving to me for every act of, of love and, and, and encouragement and edification. I, I want to say thank you. I want to encourage you in, in what I'm about to say regarding your elders, your shepherds, your, your pastor teachers. I, I like these men and, and I, I like their wives. We, we had lunch together and it, and it wasn't the first time that I'd ever had, had, had lunch with them before, but, but I, I genuinely like them. But more than that, I respect them. I respect them for their love for the Lord and their commitment to His truth. And I want to encourage you to respect them. At the end of the day, I don't think that it matters a whole lot about whether we like one another. There are a lot of things in life that I don't like that you do. And there are a lot of things in life that that I like that you probably don't care anything about. The call is not that we would like one another. The call is that we would Love one another. And agape love is a choice. We choose whether or not we are going to obey and submit to those who rule over us. We choose whether or not we are going to love these men and their families for their work's sake. And I want to encourage you to love them. They are followers of the chief shepherd and they are encouraging you and me and all of us not to follow them, but to follow him, to follow Jesus, the chief shepherd, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's my encouragement to you. So why am I saying all of this at this point in the lesson? Because I want you to know that I know a lot of you. And I know that a lot of you have been in a storm. Storms come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And let me tell you about storms. They're scary. We have been created in the image of God, and just part of being an image bearer is that we just sort of have some natural responses to some stuff, and one of the natural responses that we have to things that are scary is to be afraid of them. And I know this very evening that there are some of you that are in the middle of a storm and you're scared. You, you don't know what's going to happen. You remember leaving the shore, but you can't see it anymore because it's dark and the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing all around you. You remember leaving the shore. You know it's behind you, but you can't see the other side. And you can't see the other side because it's dark and the wind is blowing. And you are in the middle of the sea and you don't know what lies ahead of you. If that's true of you tonight, may I encourage you to consider that you just might be in the storm that you find yourself in because Jesus put you in it why did Jesus put these men in this storm to perfect their faith no one loves these men more than Jesus No one cares about these men more than Jesus. No one wants the best for these men more than Jesus. But he put them in that boat and he sent them ahead. And he allowed them to be in the middle of this storm and he allowed them to experience the fear that comes along with being out on a boat between three and six in the morning and not being able to see the other side and not knowing what's going to happen. It may be tonight that you need to hear this. You may be where you are tonight because He brought you there. Number one, what can we learn from Jesus walking on the sea? Just maybe He brought me here. Maybe I'm finding myself tonight in the midst of a storm of perfecting. And I want to tell you something about these men in the middle of the Sea of Galilee during this storm. Listen to me very carefully. These men were in the will of God. They were in the will of God. Job, why does Job suffer the way he does? Because Job was the man, that's why. He was the man. Satan had been going to and fro and he'd been trying to wreak havoc among God's people, and God said, Have you considered my servant Job? He's the man. And I'll tell you why he serves me. He serves me for nothing. That's why he serves me. He didn't serve me so that he can be a big shot in the kingdom and so that people can know his name. He doesn't serve me because I've blessed him with all this wealth. He doesn't serve me because I've blessed him with this great wife and all these great kids. He loves me because of who I am. Hit him with your best shot. Why are these men in this storm? Because they're in the will of God. And what is God doing for these men? He's perfecting their faith. And so what happens? Well, what happens is they go from being afraid of him, asking the question, who who can this be, to understanding that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than just a, a great teacher. They move from understanding that, that, that He is divine, that He is divinity, that He is deity, that He Himself is God, that He is the only begotten Son of God. And that is where our God and Father wants you to be in regards to what you believe about Jesus. Number two, may I encourage you to think tonight that if you're in the midst of a storm of perfecting that He is praying for you, Jesus makes them get into the boat. He sends them out. What's He doing? He's praying. Why is He praying? Because they didn't didn't get it. They didn't understand. Why didn't they? Because they were hard-hearted. Hebrews 7.25 is a great verse you need to hide in your heart. If it's not already there, who is this Jesus? He is the one who ascended to the right hand of the throne of God where He ever lives as the Lord of lords and the King of kings but one of the things that he's doing in heaven is he ever lives to make intercession for the saints and so when I pray to our God and father when you pray to our God and father the man Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us he is praying for us in the present tense he is praying for me in the present tense what can we learn about Jesus walking on the sea well this is the storm of perfection. He, he brought them here. He's praying for them. He may have brought you to where you are tonight. He's praying for you tonight. And look at what happened when they cried out to Him. He came to them. And He'll come to you too. It is easy to think that when we're in the midst of the storm and it's dark and the winds are blowing all around us, it is easy to think that we are deserted and alone. We're told a lot of stuff about Job's experience that Job wasn't told. It would be very easy to conclude if you're Job that that God is far from me. Job had never been closer to God than when he was experiencing all that. God was right there with him. Job was where he was because God offered him up. It's easy to think that we are deserted and alone. We studied Isaiah together at Annandale this summer. And there are so many great verses in, in, in the gospel of Isaiah that, that, that speak of, of Jesus. But as you think about all the language of the Old Testament and just our relationship with God and Jesus walking on the sea, what was the promise of God through the prophet Isaiah 43-2 to His people? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. What did Jesus do? He waited until the boat was in the middle of the sea. That's when he came. Do you know when he came? Do you know when he came to these men? He came to them when they needed him the most. That's when he came to them. They didn't know that. And I don't always know it either, and neither do you. Because when we're in the darkness in the midst of a storm, it it affects our thinking, doesn't it? It challenges our faith. And so why did he walk on the water? To build up their faith, to increase their faith to show them that the very thing that they feared the most at that moment in time, the angry sea, it was just a staircase for him to come to them. What is he doing on these waves that are being tossed about by the wind? He is walking on them. Often we fear the difficult experiences of life, only to discover that these experiences bring Jesus closer to us. And closer to them he came. And closer to you he will come too if you call upon him when you're in the middle of the sea and you're afraid. If you're in the storm of perfection tonight, in full assurance of faith, believe that that he wants you to grow and he'll help you to grow. Storms are not easy, but they are necessary. You don't learn contentment when you're abounding. (laughs) You don't learn how to be content when you have everything that, that you could ever want or need. You learn contentment when you don't have the things that you think that you need. And so storms are not easy, but they are necessary. And what they do is they teach us to trust in Jesus alone and to believe in Him no matter what the circumstances might be to trust Him alone and to believe in Him no matter what the circumstances might be. Who is this, who is this Jesus? Well, He's the one from earlier who can, who can go to sleep in the back of a boat during a storm, only to, to be awakened and then to arise and to simply say, be quiet, peace be still. And at His Word, the creation obeys. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Well, He is the one who can just uh, walk out to you in the middle of your storm and in the midst of all of your fear, you can cry out to Him and you can hear Him say, I am. I am. He is the one that can say to you, When you ask Him a question that communicates faith, come. And He is the one that can enable you to walk on water. If you're going to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. That's the title of a book, and I don't recommend the book, but I like that title a lot. That's a good title. Storms are not easy, but they are necessary. Jesus will help you to grow. And finally tonight, He will see me through. What have these men seen up to this point in their relationship with Jesus? They've seen His power. They've seen His power to conquer and to calm a storm. And they're no longer asking, who is this? They're worshiping Him, saying, you are the Son of God. What do they believe at this point about Him? They believe that He is the great I Am of of, of, of Exodus, the third chapter. They believe that He is the true and living God who is from everlasting to everlasting the great I Am. They believe that He is the only begotten Son of God and they worship Him as they should and they say to Him as they worship Him, You are the Son of God. And immediately, where did they find themselves? They found themselves in Genesaret. They found themselves in a garden spot. They found themselves in the paradise of Galilee. And in the midst of all of that, what was Jesus doing for folks? He was perfecting them. He will see you through too. Wherever you are in your life, no matter how dark it is. It just may be that He brought you there. You can rest your hope fully upon the truth that He's praying for you. He doesn't want you to fail. He doesn't want you to fail the test that He he gives you so that that you might be built up. You you can rest your hope fully on the truth that just as He came to them, He will come to you. You can believe that no one loves you more or cares you more or has your best interests at heart more than Him. You can trust Him to help you. You can trust Him to see you through. At the end of life, when all is said and done, and all that remains is the King and His kingdom, the glorious hope that we have, Revelation 22, verse 4, is that we're going to see His face. Can you imagine how, how much better they felt When Jesus got into that boat with them and they saw his face and they saw how much he loved them and cared for them and they saw him as he is in truth God in the flesh can you imagine the joy and the gratitude and the love that we will experience when we behold him that's the hope that we have if it's not your hope tonight the only thing between you and having, having that hope is... The only thing between you and Him is you. And so you just need to get out of your way. You just need to get out of your way and believe in Him. And come to Him. Only a step. The faith of a mustard seed. The faith of a tiny little mustard seed. Just, just take a step toward Him. Lay hold of Him and He'll lay hold of you. And He'll see you through to the end. If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight... And you believe in Him. Confess Him. Repent of your sins and be baptized in, into Him for the remission of your sins. If you live in this area, I recommend that you be a member of the, of the Oak Mountain Church because I believe that these shepherds are, are shepherds that belong to the sheep shepherd and all they're trying to do is, is, is to keep this local flock of God's people looking unto Jesus. It's God's will for us to be a part of a local church so that we would fulfill all these collective responsibilities together so that we might encourage one another in love, to press on, to live in hope that He's going to see us through. But not only that, but to live abundantly, experiencing victory in Jesus every day until He comes. If we can help you in any way, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?